welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Really excited to be back again with you today to talk about fatherhood, to talk about raising our daughters, to be those strong, independent women that I'm always talking to you about because it's important. It's important to be able to be present, to be engaged, and to really work with our daughters along the way to help them to be amazing individuals as they are young, but even more amazing as they grow up into adults. Today, I've got another great guest Uh, Dr. Robert Saul is with us, and he is a pediatrician and a medical geneticist. He's been guiding parents and children for over 40 years. He's uh, Emeritus Professor of Pediatrics. He's got a ton of experience, and we're going to be talking about his experience as a father, but also as a physician and beyond of what he's doing right now. He's got a brand new book that he's going to talk about a little bit as well called Conscious Parenting. And we're also just going to get to know him too. So Dr. Saul, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here. It is my pleasure having you today, having you here today. And, um, you know, I always love starting these interviews, turning the clock back in time. And this is the Dads with Daughters podcast. You're a dad of two sons, and you also have some grandkids along the way. You had some grandkids now, too. So I want to talk a little bit about your own experience as a father. So I want to turn that clock back in time. When you first found out that you were going to be a father, what was going through your head? Well, it's interesting. I was a, uh, it was in the middle of my uh, pediatric residency. So here I was just finishing my second year of pediatric residency, finishing my second year of pediatric residency when my first son was born. So that's an exciting time. Yet when you're in training, you don't feel like you understand, really know what parenting is all about. And you feel like maybe some of the advice you're giving is just totally words from the page versus what it means to actually live those. So becoming a parent and understanding what young mothers go through in terms of those early years made a world of difference for me going forward. That son was born in 1978. Twelve years later, after a divorce and remarriage, my second son was born. And it was the same sort of thing in spades in terms of seeing that young life come and uh, being a, a part of it and in some ways being so much better I'd like to think in terms of my understanding of the situation and things so I jokingly say sometimes I have two only children but 12 years apart indeed at times it felt like that you know as a pediatrician I'm sure that along the way you've given your share of advice but then especially as a young pediatrician as you were trying to figure it out for yourself and trying to figure out how to be a father talk to me about that what was that like for you in being the person that people were coming to for that advice while you were figuring it out for yourself as well? Well, young pediatricians rely very heavily on their teachers, on their mentors. And uh, back then, we still had these things called textbooks that we looked at. And so we relied very heavily on textbooks and the collective experience of, you know, so many pediatricians that were out there, but also our our active teachers. And then when I went into private practice, relied heavily on my colleagues. We were very attuned to asking each other questions. We realized that we didn't have all the answers. And oftentimes, I would call parents back after sometimes I had seen them in the office and given them some advice 
and then talk to my colleagues and realize, you know, I really don't think that was as, as sharp as it could have been. And so maybe I needed to refine that message. So I think as a pediatrician and in terms of working with talking about parenting issues, humility is at the forefront and then sincerity. I mean, you just really have to be sincere, but so humble. And when you don't know, you don't know. And go through the journey with these young parents in the office yourself. You know, as a father, I think you can always say that you it's its what you don't know because you're learning along the way and you have to rely on so many, not only experts and physicians and other people that you turn to for resources, but other fathers as well. And I, I, I completely understand what you're saying there, that, that you don't know what you don't know, because as you go along, you learn so much. And, and a lot of it is just by trial and error. And the other thing is, obviously, in some ways, it's a crash course for a pediatrician, because when, especially when you're uh, in the early years, and the parents ask you a question, and you really, you give them an answer based on what you've sort of been told, what you've read, what you've learned, but you haven't had the practical experience. So it's a crash course then in terms of trying to say, okay, let me go back now and try to understand this a little better. Now that I've actually confronted this situation in the real world, let me go back to that textbook. Let me go back to my colleagues. Let me go back to my mentors and say, you know, what would you do in this situation? Much like you would go to your parents. Yeah, I think that all of us have had to go back to our parents once or twice to be able to ask. I mean, for those of us that have parents that are still around as when you have children. Now... One of the things that that I love to ask, and, and this is something, I guess, for, as you have raised your sons, and now that you, now you're transitioning into being a grandfather, talk to me about that experience and what it's been like for you now to be able to be on a different end of being able to parent in a different way, but now having grandchildren. Well, my grandparenting journey is, is very different than most people's grandparenting journey. <clears throat> it only started several years ago. When my youngest son married, we uh, were blessed with an eight-year-old step-granddaughter. So we missed the first eight years of her life. So that's been as exciting as we've learned that. And then just earlier this year, my oldest son at the age 42 had his first child, So now we have an eight-month-old. So exciting for us is this week, actually, the end of the week, we're going to go visit my youngest son and his family and our step-granddaughter, and then drive to uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and see the uh, the young granddaughter. So it's been a journey. I always wondered whether I'd become a grandparent along this way, because I'm much older than the typical grandparent, but it's uh, still as exciting. Well, maybe having an older grandchild at the beginning was good because having those really young ones that want you to jump all around and run all around, as you said, as an older grandparent, you know, that might that might might have been a good way to transition into that. Well, I felt like when my youngest son was born, I was 40. So indeed, you know, the creaky knees and the inability to get up from the floor and do all those other things that grandparents sometimes complain about, I was already at that stage. Getting old can be a bear. I'm already feeling it. (laughs) So one of the things that that I said at the very beginning was that you've been helping parents along the way for so many different years. And as you went through your career, I know in our conversations prior to talking today, I mean, you mentioned the fact that you've transitioned and, and moved past your pediatric practice, but you're still practicing and you're still helping in different ways now. And you've created a a model, uh, five steps to community involvement. 
that really can help parents in a whole new way. Can you talk to me about kind of this transition out of the primary practice, but into what you're doing now? Well, I wouldn't say it's a transition out of, it's a, it's a transition, but excuse me, I see it more of as an evolution. So I started practice in 1979 and very involved. Unfortunately, divorce came along and it sort of makes you refocus in terms of a variety of things in your life. Uh, a beautiful remarriage came along and helped me with that focus. But then in the early 1990s, I felt like I wasn't paying back to my community like I should, that I was so singularly focused on my family and my career that I wasn't looking beyond my nose in terms of the community. And at the same time, I heard someone give a speech, very profound speech, but 12 words came out of that that has sort of affected me from this point forward. For anything that happens in the community, we need to consider that I am the problem, I am the solution, I am the resource, meaning that for anything that's going on in the community, we need to take a personal ownership in it. I am the problem. We need to be devoted to the solution. And to do that, we need to make devote our resources to that. So I heard those 12 words. It took me months to sort of internalize those. And then I went to the folks in the community and said, put me in. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to do whatever y'all need me to do. And using my bully pulpit as a physician. So that was in 1993 and 1999, Columbine hit. Two teenagers walk into a school, murder 13 people and kill themselves. I asked myself the question, could that happen in my town? The answer was yes. I asked myself the question, what have I done to try to keep that from happening? And the answer was not enough. So I put paper to pencil, and we did that back then also, and wrote an op-ed article for the local newspaper and articulated what I consider to be the five steps to community improvement. And over the course of the next 12 to 13 years, wrote over 160 op-ed articles to the local paper about those five steps. And those five steps are, one, learn to be the best parent you could be. And I chose those words carefully because not everyone has the same abilities. Not everyone has the same circumstances. And it's not my role to say, this is what you should do. But it's my role to sort of help guide families and parents to be the best parents you could be. Number two was get involved. Crucial. Number three, different, but it's equally important, is stay involved. So getting involved and staying involved are two different things, but still very important. Number four is intuitively obvious, but not so much in today's society, is love for others. And number five, the toughest, is forgiveness. That's what I've, that's the one I've grappled with over the years. So I took those five steps and turned them into a book published in 2013 called My Children's Children, Raising Young Citizens in the Age of Columbine. Because was I think those five steps point me as I've learned and grown, is that one of the most important things parenting is, is raising your children to be good citizens. As you said, at the very beginning, you want your, we want your daughters to be awesome people, awesome kids, awesome teenagers, but even more so, I would argue, awesome adults, awesome parents, awesome grandparents, awesome citizens, people that take care of others, people that care for others, people that understand and are willing to understand what the communal good is. So I worked hard with that and felt good about that. Felt that, uh, again, promoting citizenship is what was so important. Wrote a children's book shortly thereafter to try to 
as a companion book and then wrote a detailed scientific book that was published by the American Academy of Pediatrics, I should say co-author. But then my latest project is Conscious Parenting, how each of us can sort of look toward understanding our relationships better. And uh, that isn't a uh, shift away from, I'd like to think it's a complementary shift to and a natural evolution of where my career should be. Now, I should say I actually did retire the end of last year, but pediatricians might retire, but they don't withdraw from involvement because I'm still very much involved. I'm the president of the South Carolina chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, and still very active in children's advocacy. And I hope my writings uh, make some difference in terms of promoting those issues. So as you're talking about conscious parenting, can you define that for me and help me better understand kind of what you're talking about when you say conscious parenting? Let me give a little background to that also. When I shifted to a new job in 2013, where I was just, instead of just doing pediatrics and medical genetics, I shifted to purely pediatrics and some administrative roles. And I went through a leadership training called Conscious Leadership. And in that leadership, they talk about being above the line or below the line. When you're above the line, you're open, you're receptive, you're ready to learn. When you're below the line, you're closed, you're defensive, and you're always right. And you and I have both been in meetings where we're just saying to ourselves, oh, this is the most boring meeting I've ever been in. When's this thing going to be over? We're below the line. We're closed or receptive. We're not ready to learn. The whole point of a con- about conscious leadership is being conscious about where you are. You might say, I'm below the line, and that's perfectly fine. I can't wait for this thing to be over. But hopefully, if you're enough of a, of a leader, you could say, you know, I'm below the line. How can I change my engagement? How can I be more open? How can I be more in- engaging in this circumstance? I think these same principles apply to parenting. And the line for me in parenting is what I call the parental awareness threshold. When you're above the parental awareness threshold, you're open, you're receptive, you're ready to learn. You're ready to listen. You're ready to understand. When you're below the line, you're closed, you're you're always right, and because I said so, because I'm your parent. And sometimes those things might be correct, but there's better ways to do it. There's always this, it's always important to be able to find other ways, other ways to do things. And there's lots of ways to do things. And as you said, there's not always a right way to do things. Now, you talked about the fact that, you know, we're all looking to be able to raise our children to be amazing adults. And that community involvement concept, I think, is a really important one. Talk to me about some of the steps again, because you talked about the first step there, but what are some of the things that a parent can do if they want to get their child to start to be that actively involved person to give back and to, you know, take that next step? What are some things that they can do to be able to do just that? There are so many things, whether it's being involved in their church, whether it's being involved in their child's school, whether it's being involved as in the food bank, whether it's being involved in litter pickup, there's just a, so many different things. And each of them in, in so many ways are equally important. And one doesn't get you more brownie points than the other. In my mind, it shows you it shows you and your child that you're willing to, to pitch in uh, and work 
beyond ourselves. So that's getting involved, but then staying involved is, is equally important because things will change. You know, as your children get older, you might be less inclined to be involved in the PTA or in Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or, or youth participation or uh, sports participation or whatever. So as things change, you need to in- evolve your involvement to make a difference going forward. So those are the involvement pieces. And I think those are critical to be. A, but I mean, love for your fellow man. Golly gee. It doesn't get more important than that. And understanding that we have this communal responsibility for each other, I must admit, and a hot topic in my state right now is the whole issue of vaccines and uh, and wearing masks to protect children from the COVID infection. As a pediatrician and as a parent and as a citizen, I cannot see why we don't want to protect our children to the utmost and do every can, everything we can to protect our children and by extension, protect all the adults. So involvement, getting involved, staying involved, love for others. But the most difficult one, I think, is forgiveness. And if, if you let me, I'll just expand on that for just a second. Please. So when your four-year-old whacks your two-year-old and you say, tell them you're sorry, and they say, oh, I'm sorry. That's a form of forgiveness and an apology, but it's very different than what you would expect a 14-year-old, a 24-year-old, a 44-year-old, a 64-year-old to do. So forgiveness is an evolving issue. And in the words of Maury Schwartz from the book Tuesdays with Maury, you should forgive yourself first for what you're thinking and for what you haven't done. Forgive others and do it now because he had a situation in his life where he and a friend had a a falling out, and so they didn't talk to each other, and then his friend died, and he just felt horrible that he never reconciled those issues, that he was so selfish to hold on to those issues that he didn't, it let him poison his relationship with that individual. And that's, I've studied a lot about forgiveness, and that's one of the important things is if you don't, haven't been able to forgive, you'll never reconcile, and it, you'll never be able to keep that from your uh, thoughts, and it'll poison your relationships going forward. A personal example, and it's still one I deal with, so I'm not setting myself up as the person who uh, completely does this as as everyone should. My father was an alcoholic, and uh, there were several instances growing up when things were certainly less than ideal, and that's putting it nicely. He died early, and I should be at a stage in my life where I have completely forgiven him, but things still emotional things still well up inside of me, which uh, make it difficult. But the one other important part about forgiveness is what I call communal forgiveness or social forgiveness. We're not very good about as a social group looking toward extending forgiveness. And the prime example I'll give you that is with in medicine. The American Medical Association, which is the one of the prime group of doctors in the country, years ago did not allow black physicians in their membership. And about 15 years ago, they realized what a horrible situation that was. And they published a mea culpa. We were wrong. Now, you could argue that each of those individuals could say, it wasn't me. I didn't do that. It was those bad people back then. But the point is, it was us. And we need to take some responsibility for that. And if we're going to reset our moral compass going forward and do better, we need to accept that, ask for forgiveness, and extend an apology. And I think that's so important. And that's, boy, that's, it's even more, as I said, love for others is 
seems to be difficult in today's polarized society. I think forgiveness is even worse. And that's so, so important. It is so important and definitely not always an easy thing. As you said, in the polarizing society that we're in, I think that sometimes men have a very hard time saying, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. You know, being vulnerable in those ways. And I think that because of that, I mean, that's a challenge. I mean, it's a big challenge for men to be able to to model that forgiveness then for their own kids. Oh, absolutely. And as I said earlier, in terms of as pediatricians, when you're confronted with issues that you might not know about how humility and sincerity are so important, the same thing uh, definitely is in terms of parenting. And those are what make you vulnerable. I'll give you a personal example. And this isn't a brag, but just to show you sort of my evolution. My youngest son, who's now, who will turn 31 this year, uh, he was about seven or eight. One night he did something that I didn't like and I yelled at him and he just turned into a puddle. And then my wife was very upset at me that I yelled. And then we went into the family meltdown mode. And I'm sure most families have had that at some point where nobody talked for a couple hours. We just walked past each other. Oh, well, emotions stewed inside. And then it was finally bedtime. And I laid down with my son, said, said, son, I am so sorry. You know, you did something I think was wrong, but my response was totally wrong, was totally inappropriate. And I need to ask for your forgiveness. I need to extend an apology. We're here to work on this together. And I really want to let you know that I was wrong. And he said, dad, would you be quiet? I said, why? He said, I hate it when you're nice. Uh, So again, I I think in some ways I was maybe learning the whole issue of conscious parenting early on the and going forward. And the other thing about conscious parenting that I haven't mentioned is it conscious parenting to me is two things. It's in the moment and it's in retrospect. So for anything that's happened, hopefully you can pause, assess, and choose the right response. But in the moment you might pause, assess, and choose the wrong response in retrospect. You might go, oh that did not go well. So hopefully in retrospect you could pause, assess, and figure out what went wrong. And that can, then in terms of trying to, in retrospect, you can go over that with your with your partner, your spouse, your close friend, your sibling, your aunt, your uncle, your parents, because we want to be remain our conscious awareness of where we are throughout. We're not giving in to our children. We're trying to be a better parent. And sometimes we're going to have to make tough decisions that they don't like. And we can be conscious about that. But we don't just have to spew it back at them it's because I said so or because I'm the parent. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our Fatherhood Five, where I ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? Uh, uh-oh. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. In one word, what is fatherhood? Excitement. When was the time that you finally felt that you succeeded at being a father? I don't think I'm there yet. You're not the only one that said that. Now, if I was to ask your sons or even your grandkids... How would they describe you as a dad or as a grandfather? Loving and funny. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? My mother. Now, you've given a lot of pieces of advice today, but what's one piece of advice you want to leave with every dad today? Involvement. Always be there. Be there understanding. Um, You know, fortunately for us, you know, when when I grew up in the 50s, uh, you know, dads went to work, moms were home, things are changing. Things are changing now for the better, but it's so important for dads to 
to continue to be there, understand, and be a part of their, their child's life. But be conscious of that, be understanding, and be willing to learn. Because parenting is a, is a journey. It's lifelong learning, it's lifelong understanding, and it's altering responses accordingly. Well, Dr. Saul, it's been great to have you here today, and thank you so much for everything that you're sharing. If people want to find out more about you, about your books, about the things that you're working on, Where's the best place for them to go? The best place is my website, which is www.mychildrenschildren.com. And that's where I have the books and I have a blog where I usually post something every couple weeks. And by the way, my children's children meant when I took that title, I meant to be, I had no grandchildren at the time, but it was for my children's children. It was for any children that I've cared for, my children's children, and any children that I've advocated for, my children's children. So I had a three meaning for me. Well, Dr. Saul, thank you so much for being here. It has been a pleasure getting to know you. And thank you so much for everything that you've done over the years to help people and that you're continuing to do to be able to help fathers be better fathers, help parents be better parents. And I wish you all the best. Well, thank you. And uh, wish everyone in the audience the best. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men, get out and be the world to them. Be the best dad you can be. Be the best dad you can be.